We are live from the great state of Tennessee, home of Elvis Presley, the Parthenon, Nashville Sounds, and the Peg Leg Porker. I'm Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid, the podcast where we break down the craziest conspiracy theories and separate fact from fiction. So, once again, I said I'm going to say this every week. Thank you again for our tuning in and listening. I'm getting better. I'm trying to try some new things, trying to experiment. And the fact that you've been listening, you know, through this, you know, experimental phase or whatever you would call it really means a lot to me. I'm really excited about what's going on in the future. Like I said, I'll probably thank you every episode just because I really do appreciate you taking a little bit of time to listen to me babble and babble on. So thank you. Thank you again. I'm really excited about where this is all going. So a lot of people have tagged me in this week's story. Like I got tagged in it like just about every day. But I'm going to give credit to Spencer. Um, I got Spencer. You can follow him on Twitter at Jerkin Jerky. He actually makes beef jerky literally from scratch. He goes and picks out the meat, flavors it, cooks it, literally does it all by hand. So if that's your kind of thing, go ahead and hit him up. Hit him up anyway, but especially if you're looking for some beef jerky. So apparently we have another sighting of the Loch Ness Monster. And I would assume everybody really knows what that is. Um, This has been going on in Scotland since about 1933. Basically it's this gigantic fish type creature, has a really long neck, kind of like a giraffe. And there's been a bunch of random sightings, but scientists for whatever reason don't want to confirm that it's real. But apparently this guy... Um, was just taking tons of pictures out by sea. Like he wasn't looking for it. He doesn't believe in it. He's not a conspiracy theorist. He was just out there taking nature pictures. And in this one shot, he got a picture of it, at least of its torso. You can't see it. His neck is still underwater. His tail is still underwater. All you can see is his back. And the characteristics actually fit what people believe the Loch Ness Monster looks like as far as his torso, the stripes on it. This is what, before this picture came out, this is what they always thought it looked like. So now we have this picture from a guy that basically fits that description, but he himself says he doesn't believe it's a Loch Ness Monster. Like, he doesn't believe in that. So we don't really see any reason why he would Photoshop this picture. And for me personally, um, I've never really delved deep into it, but to me it's a pretty easy story to believe. All you got to do is go on Google and type in prehistoric creatures that are still alive. And I mean, you can see, like, especially deep in the sea, there are like all kind of crazy looking animals like Finding Nemo, freaking Atlantis type animals that are still alive. And I mean, they look way creepier than a Loch Ness Monster. So why can't the Loch Ness Monster exist? Like, that's, I mean, like I said, it's not really one of my biggest conspiracy theories, but to me, it's kind of like common sense. Like, It's not like we're just saying, oh, this is just one prehistoric creature. I mean, there's hundreds, literally hundreds of prehistoric creatures just roaming the sea. But just one specific one, even though there's tons of pictures, tons of sightings, this one just can't exist. Why? I don't know. But like I said, it's kind of hard to describe. Go ahead, check it out, and you can tweet me at underscore Patrick Simpson and let me know what you think of the picture. Today is an exciting story for me, obviously, because I'm like a gigantic sports guy and a conspiracy theorist kind of goes hand in hand. But this is a helpful episode for anyone, even if you aren't into sports. Not only is it interesting, it's a little bit of true crime 
And it'll also help you understand what your boyfriend, girlfriend, or coworkers are talking about. And honestly, after this, you may actually know more than them about some things. After a loss, you always see that person blaming the refs or blaming a player about what happened. I mean, there's just no way the whole team can be responsible for the loss. That's just not the way fans work. But what if I told you that their conspiracies may actually have some truth to it? And when I say truthful, I don't mean like kind of true or we have some visual proof. I'm talking about proof that resulted in jail time. This is a story about conspiracy in sports. So basically, we're going to split this up into two parts. First, we're going to talk about the major cases where someone or multiple people have admitted to the conspiracy, and it's basically a closed case. Then at the end, we'll cover some of the major ones that are still up in the air are really are just conspiracies, and one that I'm particularly passionate about. The first case we have comes from the 1919 World Series, where the White Sox were heavy favorites over the Reds. But for some reason, all the betting money was on the Reds. There were eight players specifically for the White Sox that were in on the fix, but the rest of the team did not want to participate. So what ended up happening is one of the best pitchers on the White Sox that wasn't in on the rigging actually played really well and won two games in the series. So with gamblers throwing all this money on the underdog, they got pissed and actually threatened the players and their family members on the White Sox if they did not lose the series. So after this happens, a bunch of wild pitches and overthrown balls start happening, and the Reds come back to win the World Series. And like I said, they were just absolutely gigantic underdogs. Nothing actually happened after this, and it seemed like they were in the clear until in the middle of next season, they were charged by a grand jury on charges of fraud. This resulted in all eight players being banned from baseball for life, and the popular, most popular player on the team being Shoeless Joe Jackson, who admitted that he was paid $5,000 to blow the series. And if you ingest that for inflation in 2020, that's $74,000. And for reference, the payroll for the entire Red Sox that year was $93,000. This was only the first confirmed case in sports, but I find it hard to believe that this wasn't happening prior to this, just mainly on a smaller scale. So obviously, a bunch of cheating and random madness has probably been going on since 1919. But most people don't want to hear about stuff that happened before they were born. So we're going to skip forward a little bit to when most of us, or a good majority of us, were alive. In 1998, four Northwestern football players were charged with perjury for lying about gambling on football games they participated in. All the players were starters and had a huge impact in the game, though four of them bet on the games only one was charged with fixing the game and that was the starting running back according to court documents the running back intentionally fumbled at the goal line in 1994 versus iowa the thing is this is northwestern and their team was terrible so what he was doing was betting that the other team would cover the spread and if you don't know what that means basically if iowa was favored to win by 20 They needed to win by more than 20 for him to win. So basically, he would fumble the ball on purpose to make sure that Iowa won by more than 20 points. They can pinpoint about five games where this happened. 
and he was being paid by an on-campus bookie. But because it was Northwestern, he um, this basically went unnoticed amongst most major college football fans. Also related to college football, in 2009, three University of Toledo football players and three basketball players were indicted on bribery charges over the span of three years. Similar to the Northwestern situation, they were not very good and were basically shaving points to help the other team cover the spread. The quarterback admitted that he intentionally fumbled in the bowl game to ensure that the other team would score and cover the spread. It's also similar to the Northwestern situation. They were being paid by on-campus bookies, but because this was a lower-tier MAC team, no one really talked about this at all. And lastly, we have the most popular one, the NBA referee Tim Donahue. He admitted that from 2005 to 2007, he bet tens of thousands of dollars on NBA games that he was refing. And it was crazy about this. He was in basically in collusion with the mob. I don't know what mob exactly. Sounds super dark, like some crazy 1920s movie, but some kind of lower tier mob, I would assume. And basically... No one really cared about that. It was like regular season games. The big thing that he did talk about was that the 2002 Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Kings were rigged. Not by him, because he didn't ref those games, but refs that were also in on the rigging, basically. Donahue told federal agents that this was an order from people at the top to, quote, increase television ratings and ticket sales. He also said that NBA officials would tell the referees to not call fouls on certain players. These claims were never proven right or wrong, but we do know that the Lakers did take 16 more free throws than the Kings in game six. And before you Laker fans come at me calling me a hater, I grew up a Lakers fan. I mean, I loved Kobe. I mean, that's I'm not. I wouldn't really call myself a Lakers fan now. I kind of really am neutral. But growing up, I had the Kobe jersey. I rooted for the Lakers. I remember that series like it was yesterday. And I think any non-biased person would admit that it was a little sketchy. I mean, there was some just absolutely crazy calls going on. I mean, the free throw discrepancy was pretty big. Now, me being that Lakers fan that I was, I would say that they were going to win that series anyway. But, I mean, you kind of have to admit that there was something sketchy going on, and more than likely Donahue was probably right. So those are among some of the most popular ones in our history, but obviously there are plenty, plenty more. I mean, just about every single game has a conspiracy but I'm going to go through some of the ones that at least have a little bit more merit. And we'll just talk about different sports. So everyone knows that soccer is among one of the most corrupt sports in the world, probably the most corrupt sport in the world. We've seen millions of dollars be spent on bribes by countries, literally their government, to be able to host the World Cup. So it's not like super far-fetched that it would end up trickling down to the players also. There's a bunch of different theories and stuff, but the one that I pinpoint is in 2006, it was revealed that three World Cup matches may have been rigged by Asian syndicates. 
And I guess basically they were paying Ghana players to shave points. Um, I think this was between Ghana, Germany, and maybe Italy. Games between them, um, they were paying certain players to shave points. And this is not an absolute fact, but it's widely known. And there have been some players from Ghana that have admitted that this has happened. And like I said, we're talking about here in America, um, football is like, I guess American football is like just this absolutely gigantic thing. But in the grand scheme of things, it literally has nothing. I mean, nothing on soccer. I mean, what we get for the Super Bowl is like, I mean, a tiny portion of what the World Cup draws. There's just so much money. I mean, governments are involved. Presidents of other countries are involved. So, I mean, I would believe basically any kind of theory you told me about soccer. Um, that's probably the easiest sport to rig. Another sport, boxing. Boxing to me is just rigged to literally beyond comprehension. If you're a boxing lover, I mean, I don't want to offend you, but I mean, I j- it just seems pretty obvious to me. I don't think it necessarily may happen like at the very top, especially those that were like undefeated, like a um, like a Floyd Mayweather necessarily, because at the end of the day, there's nothing you can't buy an undefeated record. Like you're not gonna lose some, you're not gonna lose a match on purpose if it taints your undefeated record. But there are some that you can point to. And the one that really turned my eye was the fight between Manny Pacquiao and Bradley. And, I mean, that one just seemed obvious. I mean, you could literally look at both of their faces, and it was like they knew Pacquiao had won. And when they announced that Bradley had won, I mean, booze coming down. I mean, Pacquiao's jaw drops. I mean, it was just – it was. I mean, it was just crazy. And like I said, I don't necessarily think most of the time that it is the actual boxers that are rigging it. No, I do think that has happened before. Most of the time it is the judges that are rigging it. And um, because when you think about sports, I mean, obviously judging is in the Olympics and stuff. But as far as a sport with this much money, there's a lot of weight that goes into the judges. I mean, like this fight, I mean, you could see Manny Pacquiao dominate, but if the judges really want to choose someone else, I mean, there's nothing stopping them. And I mean, for boxing, there's literally so many cases you could go to. Um, you got the, if you watch the video, you know, there's the big conspiracy about Muhammad Ali's Phantom Punch versus Sony Liston. Um, obviously, Muhammad Ali is one of the GOATs, but you know, maybe some money and some other stuff went into that one, making sure that outcome happened. And there's just been some absolute shams out there where it's like you just people are just out there collecting a paycheck. Like I said, Mayweather earlier probably hasn't been a part of it. But that Pacquiao Mayweather fight was just absolute garbage. Like, I don't even know what was going on. And the reason why I think it's easy for boxing is because they have to sell the rematches like the individual fights do get a lot of money, but then the rematches, you know, they, you know, not only just just another high profile fight, but it's like redemption and all that. So basically you can tell them, okay, you're going to lose this one. 
you're going to earn 100 million. But then the next one is going to be like 150, 200 million because it's going to be way more pay-per-views. And, you know, if you're not undefeated, you're not all the way at the top. And I don't see why you wouldn't take that. Like I said, I could be way off base. I'm sure boxing Twitter will come at me. But to me, boxing just seems like super, super, super easy. Now, hockey, it's a pretty hard sport to rig. You basically have to have the goalie in on it. I mean, you just have to. I mean, it's already hard enough to get that little puck in the net, period, with no goalie there. So you're putting like a goalie with all that gear on. He would have to be in for it to be rigged. Uh, So I do think hockey, as far as the actual games, is a little harder to rig. Now, I do believe that there was corruption in this last expansion draft that they had for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Normally, under expansion rules, you have to pick from the other team's scraps, and your team starts out terrible for years. But Gary Bettman knew that he needed Vegas to be an immediate success. Like, Vegas just wasn't going to be sitting around watching a last-place team for five years. That that just wasn't going to happen. So he changed the rules that helped Vegas get a lot of quality players from other teams. They literally had a Stanley Cup winning goalie on their team. So while most teams, like my Nashville Predators, were in purgatory for almost a decade, the Vegas Golden Knights made it to the finals literally in the very first year. I mean, that it just it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a Cinderella story to me. Like most expansion stories, you know, you get a 500 record you make it a championship like that would just be crazy. But it was just so obvious that I didn't celebrate it at all. It was just an absolute sham, absolute joke. Gary Bettman, you should be totally, completely ashamed of yourself. If you're a Vegas fan, I have nothing to say to you. I mean, it's not your fault, but there's just the expansion team. Just they shouldn't even make the playoffs the first year. Nevertheless, make it literally all the way to the championship game in their first year. It just it just doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Now to football, which is what most of you are probably here for. This one I remember seeing vaguely, but um, it kind of retraced my memory. Basically, there was this whole thing about Auburn after the 2010 National Championship game. They beat Oregon, and apparently there was the allegations that the football program overlooked positive tests for Spice, which is basically like a synthetic marijuana because they knew that a bunch of players would fail. Apparently, I won't name the player um, just because I don't know if it's 100% a fact, but apparently one player failed the test seven straight times with no punishment. So basically, they kind of knew that this, I guess, drug, I could say drug, this drug was going around the team and other players were testing for it, so they held off the testing for two weeks after and apparently all these players failed the test and they all like had to sit out week one the next year but if they had did the test before the game like i guess you were supposed to there would have been a lot of important players missing from that national championship auburn claims that they didn't have the test to administer to athletes but espn claims which is espn but they claim that the, the Auburn and every college football team had these tests before the season even began. So who do you believe? I don't know. It's a very interesting theory. Um, we've seen stuff like that before. Players, 
you know, it happens literally all the time. And it's hard for me to have a huge problem with it because the whole thing about weed, you know, it's a political issue, but I don't think players should be suspended for it. But it is a rule. So you do have to follow the rule. So Auburn, if you did know and you held off, you're in the wrong. I mean, your championship, it works. I mean, I shouldn't, I'm not going to say you should have to give it back. But you know what you did, and you got away with it. As far as the NFL, there are, I mean, there's conspiracies all the time. There's not one that I'm really going to pinpoint because I've already been going on for way too long. But, I mean, you got the Patriots that cheat all the time, allegedly. But the one time they actually did, you have this Saints-Rams pass interference fiasco from a couple of years ago. You got just, like, random comebacks that are always like fishy NFL it's hard for me to really get into those kind of theories I mean it is the NFL it is the biggest market here in America there's a lot of money but there's just so many moving pieces that go to it and they already get paid very well so it's kind of hard for me to really get into those theories. Now, I mean, if I heard one that sounded interesting, I would believe it. But as far um, I guess there's one in particular that literally just hit me. This, I got to talk about the tuck rule. I guess technically that is a rule, so they didn't cheat. But I mean, come on, man. Are, we, are you serious? Like, the tuck rule. How is it? I guarantee you they were typing that up in the rule book in the replay. I mean, it just that's about the only one that I remember off the top of my head. That's just blatantly just ridiculous. And like I said, they've been the subject of a lot of crazy stuff. But as far as the NFL, I don't really have one that like I just pinpoint that like, OK, this was 100 percent rigged. But when it comes to college football, I do have. A couple and they are about 2001 and the 2008 Heisman Trophy race and yes I am a Florida Gator fan born and raised but hear me out and you'll understand so in 2001 Florida Gator legend Rex Grossman comes in second place to Eric Crouch of Nebraska and Eric Crouch was a great player um no disrespect, no shade to him. But in his very last game, they lose by 40 points to Colorado. He goes like 12 of 18, 130 yards, two interceptions. And that is his last game before the Heisman voting. Now, Rex Grossman did lose his last game to a team that I will not name, but he did put up good numbers like he had all season. I mean, the number comparison is not even close. Now, Eric Crouch wasn't a passer. He was basically a running back. So he did have a lot of rushing yards. But even if you put the rushing yards and passing yards combined, it still is nowhere close to Rex Grossman. So basically, two things go into this. I think everyone knew Rex Grossman was the best player in the country. But at that time, there had never been a sophomore to win the Heisman. And Rex Grossman was a Heisman, was a sophomore. And Eric Crouch was a senior. So basically, it's kind of like the, I want to say old boy system, because I know that has a different connotation. But basically, they didn't want to mess with tradition. 
They didn't want to give the sophomore Heisman Trophy. So even though they knew he was better, they gave the award to the senior just to uphold tradition. Also, the other thing is the Heisman Trophy Committee sent out 924 ballots, but only 585 were counted, which is about 63%. And it is normal for them not to have a 100% return rate. You know, 924 is a lot. But on average, they usually get about 80% of their Heisman ballot sent back. But this time, it was only 63%. And according to Heisman officials, they really offered no explanation for the unusual amount of missing ballots. This is straight from the ESPN website. So we had a race. It was was really a three-person race between Eric Crouch, Rex Grossman, and Ken Dorsey from Miami. I mean, this was like an absolutely tight race. But this year, of all years, amongst this great race, all these people are like, oh, no, I'm not participating. No, I just find that hard to believe. Keep in mind, this was also the fourth closest Heisman race of all time. I mean, Rex Grossman barely lost. I think he lost by 62 points, which in Heisman voting is barely nothing. So conveniently, they have record low turnout for a great race that turns out to go against Rex Grossman. Could be just convenience. Most people probably think it's convenience, but I am at buying it. I mean, it's an absolute sham. All you, if you're on the Heisman Committee and you're listening to this, you should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. Ashamed. Absolutely ashamed. Almost as egregious as 2001. Actually, probably more egregious than 2001, honestly, was the 2008 Heisman Trophy race. And like I said, no disrespect, no shade to Sam Bradford. What Oklahoma was doing that year, I mean, it was insane. They were scoring 50 points a game, like 55, 60 points a game, even though Big 12 plays no defense. But he was putting up insane numbers. But Tim Tebow was doing the same against SEC competition, not to sound like that guy. But, I mean, they were also, after their one loss, they put up crazy numbers. And taking into account that Tim Tebow was also the reigning Heisman number, he was definitely worthy of winning it again. And the thing is, he actually had the most first place votes. But because Sam Bradford had a lot more second and third place votes, he ended up being the winner and also a fairly close race. Um, Tebow actually came in third place um, because he literally didn't have that many second or third place votes. So what we find out what happens is the entire Midwest, a.k.a. Big 12 region, literally left Tim Tebow off their ballots completely. They just didn't think he was even worthy of being a finalist. Keep in mind, this is the former Heisman winner, like the current Heisman winner, and had just about as good a stats as he had the season before, and they were just like, nope, he's not that good. You're not going to put him on the ballot at all. And they had to do that because they knew even if they had given him third-place finishes, that those tallies would still be enough to put him over Sam Bradford to win. So basically, they all came together to collude collude, to keep keep Tim Tebow off their ballot completely, which helped send send Sam Bradford off the edge. Over the edge. Jesus, sorry. So I want you to think about this. Tim Tebow got the most first-place votes but came in third place. How in the world does that even make any sense? 
any sense. I mean, come on, Heisman Committee. I mean, how does an entire region leave the guy with the most first place votes off the ballot completely? I mean, this they always claim, oh, the Heisman is just this great granddaddy award and it's just an honor. But yet there is no integrity, none at all. I mean, this is absolute sham. All you from the Midwest, Big 12 country that voted, you should also be absolutely positively ashamed of yourself. And I mean, like I said, this one is almost is more egregious than 2001 because, I mean, they just left them completely off the ballot. I mean, it's just just no way. I mean, for those of you that don't know, Tim Tebow is highly regarded as, if not the best, one of the top three best quarterbacks of all time. And these people in the Midwest said, nope, he's not even worthy of being on the ballot. They just left him off completely. Just think about that for a second. Like I said, I could just be some crazy Florida fan that's being a conspiracy theorist, but you just can't justify an entire region leaving him off their Heisman ballot. So we basically have four Heisman winners, but five Heisman trophies. Rex Grossman's a Heisman winner. Tim Tebow is a two-time Heisman trophy winner, and you can't convince me any differently. You just can't. So. Like I said, this is a very, very, very small example of all that's out there in sports. Some that are true, some that are literally just conspiracies. So what I ask for you is to tweet me at underscore Patrick Simpson on Twitter. You can ask me any other sport conspiracy theories that you have. I'll tell you if you're right, wrong, or flat out crazy. But if you didn't know, now you know that some of these conspiracies actually do have merit. And obviously, these conspiracies are not going to stop the cheating, the rigging. These situations are never going to stop. The question is, whose team is going to be next? Thank you for tuning in. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, go ahead and subscribe if you haven't. Leave a nice, friendly five-star review. Tell a friend. You can also follow me on Twitter, like I said, at underscore Patrick Simpson. I'll be answering any questions about any sports-related theories that you have or any theories in general. And we'll be back next week with a very new story. I'm Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid.